Portion 3 The Portion on Accomplishments Sutra 32 The Fifth Bhumi Dharna is binding of the mind to one place, object, or idea. Out of all the doors, I entered the one which was decorated by the sword, and never in a million years could I have guessed what was behind it. There in front of me was a young girl I was now walking towards. With this little girl before me, I wondered if I'd known her in the past. She might have been eight or nine years old, but I didn't recognize who she was until I heard her laugh. Is that you, Manuka? She was just a child, and her hands were together in prayer. She stood in front of a statue of a stone man, and I was certain that this was her. Commit entirely and without hesitation to your most passionate inspirations. There is genius and wisdom in what you yearn to do. You have a greater capacity to attain fruition than those around you may recognize. Believe in yourself, even if no one else does. It is not imagination that drives you toward your destiny, but the instinctive recognition of your true purpose," she said. Manuka, but you're so young. I am Sri Bala. I am the one who grants the cities of great superpowers time to bloom, my precious lotus flower," she said. What are you doing here? A predestined series of events is due to occur according to divine timing. This has been orchestrated at a higher level to integrate the paths of people with whom you have soul contracts in this lifetime. Trust in the doors that close, just as much in the doors that will open for you," said Tribala. A moment later, the door behind me closed shut. What? Is there someone else here? Don't you remember? The ten Mahavidyas. Why not so long ago, you united with all of us, she said. Ten Mahavidyas? Ten Bhumis and the Ten Lands. Some call us Ten Horns, and yet we obey no human unless he carries the righteous sword," said Tribala. Manuka, I see you, but I don't quite recognize you in these features. I was with you long ago, and I remember there was Jane, Levi, and Otto when we escaped the Order. Now what are you saying about these ten Mahavidyas? I understand there are ten Bhumis, and did you say that you are the bestower of the cities? There are ten great tantric goddesses, and we only assume the wrathful form when we must. Of course you see me as the nine-year-old goddess, and I only appear this way because you are the man I can trust," said Tribala. What do you mean wrathful form? When we are called to transform, then I do not maintain my pure and simple childlike features. Rather, I become something quite different, and my shadow emerges as a ruthless killer. Why must I kill? The same reason evil men must die. There is goodness within the hearts of the young, and these children of life have been defiled. I am ruthless to those who deserve it, and I am a beautiful nine-year-old to those who are just. Those with good hearts fear me not, 
but those who are horrible and dreadful will be crushed, said Shribala. Why are you here? Because they locked us here, said Shribala. How? I am known as the beautiful one of all three realms, but long ago there was a great shift upon the land. After the golden age, we began to descend with wickedness. So came the terror of the most evil man. This man was an Asura, the Lord of Death, who was an evil king. And as he decided he wanted to rule the three realms, he formed an army of villains, which carried out terrible destruction. She said, The Lord of Death. The moment I said it, I felt the ground murmur and rumble. The darkness vibrated from the darkest staircase leading down. And there, I swear, I heard the worst of all demons cry out from the bottom of that dark tunnel. When we had been in the Golden Age, the great cities were available to all. But there was one man who unleashed a wicked ego where he sought control. And so the spiritual empire began to fall. And what could good men do against a man so terrible and bad? For these righteous men lived by the eight limbs of yoga, and so we all lived non-violent paths. The Lord of Death slaughtered many cities and lands. He was ruthless as he began to rule. His destruction knew no mercy, and soon kindness, compassion, and love were viewed as attributes of a fool. What you see upon the earth today is due to his horrible nature. His offspring continue to kill, wage war, and forsake the Great Mother. So what were we to do when this wicked man was connected to the control of the cities, which are the great superpowers? He even went so far to conjure a boon, stating that he could not be killed by any man, king, or god, in an effort to never be overpowered. Upon this boon, the Lord of Death wrote a list that included every mighty soldier's name, and so there seemed to be no way to stop him, except for one way. His list did not include women, because his ego was awful and sexist. He figured the powers he cultivated could not be overthrown by the boon's measures of protection. There were ten goddesses who came together, and we swore to protect the lives of all others. You must understand, that I promised these goddesses I'd do anything to uphold our pact, and so I decided that I was even willing to become a murderer. The Lord of Death took over the Great Pyramid, and every living man and woman became his slave. But because I was so beautiful, I was set to become one of his many wives as long as I behaved. When I looked out upon his wicked kingdom, Every living being was in danger of becoming depraved. I agreed to become his wife, not because I loved him, but because it was I who was going to send him to his grave. Upon our wedding day, all his other wives were there. Remember, this man had great cities and superpowers, and he conquered every great warrior and never lost a single war. We were heading into the Dark Age, and I could have had a seat beside his throne. Then, on our wedding day, he lowered himself upon one knee when he revealed a giant diamond stone. I was only nine years old, and what choice did I have? I took a dagger out of my pocket, then I pierced his heart when I began to attack. 
over and over, I stabbed the Lord of Death, who had drenched my face and body. I began to drink his blood and eat his flesh, and so came the others to feast upon him, including Tata and Baida V. All ten goddesses came to devour him, and it was then his guards tied us up, but they had no idea what to do with us, and so they told everyone we had gone corrupt. But it was those wicked men who were disillusioned. It was those wicked men who could not see. They were trapped in the Age of Darkness, and it was I, Sri Bala, who had come to set them free. After that, they gave me a new name. I became the fierce manifestation of raw force because I would not compromise. And so they called me a degree of madness named Kali. If only they listened, but they had all lost their minds. They were trapped by the wickedness of one man, and so they lived their lives spiritually blind. We were prisoners in his wicked pyramid, and so they took us down to the fourth floor. They tortured us in cells beside animals, and then they locked us behind a giant brass door. For thousands of years our souls have been waiting, and to this day we remain trapped. After all these years, the Lord of Death's offspring chase material desires, while the goddesses wait beyond this brass door which has barely been scratched. But I remember you, and I know what you've been through. You were the one who heard us calling from within your intuition. Yes, you are the one who stayed true. We've been locked in this pyramid for ages, all because the Lord of Death caused this wickedness. It seems everyone forgot the path to supernatural powers, and that is why I am the bestower of the great superpowers known as the cities," said Shribala. So then all the wickedness in the world is due to one man's ego? Then this is who they call the devil. Not quite. Shribala paused. The evil ones became the Lord of Death's offspring, and they are called evil humans. The devil is the destroyer of evil. He's the one who upholds righteousness and truth. The people fear the devil because of the terrible things humans have done to the world's youth. People wish to blame a devil for temptation, but it is they who choose what to do. The ego is very sneaky in its ways, and so whatever evil they embody comes out through the actions which the people alone choose. There is no devil out to get them, but rather they have chosen the life they live. People cannot bear to realize that they themselves have made mistakes, and that is why it's so difficult for an ego to forgive. Man thinks they are supreme, but just like the evil king, look out upon the earth and ask, why are there so many wars that mankind continues to bring? Why is there no peace? Shouldn't all beings be free and have something to eat and a place to sleep? It is the human man and woman who are lost, and the devil must put the world back in its place. They may think of the devil as a terrible demon, but that is not the case. A demon is a guardian spirit of a place or person, and it rules through power and spirit. They are godlike with supernatural gifts. They intermediate between God and humans which is why so many people fear it. If God is love, then God could not harm human woman or man, but rather it is humanity that continues to subject themselves and their own kind 
to terrible atrocities across the land. A demon is of the soul. It's the genius within. God summons a demon forth when the world must atone for its sins. Demons and devils are destroyers of evil. They're the ones who restore peace upon the earth. Meanwhile, man does not seem to admire these demons because in order for there to be peace, then justice and judgment must occur. Mankind doesn't like to be told they are wrong. This is the spell of ignorance that lives within the human mind. These people think of the devil and demons as wicked, but only because their lives are terribly unaligned. If Jesus sits to the right of God's throne, then a great demon sits to the left. While Jesus teaches with love and compassion, the great demon manifests as a wrathful form to defeat wickedness and free the oppressed. Jesus would not hurt a soul. It is known that this is not his nature, but then how can the world be protected from evil? It is the evil and wicked men and women who must meet something that is even greater. A demon and devil appear as terrible and frightening. They are the enforcers of divine law. They are the bravest souls because they rise up to protect those who seek God. While the sinful and the wicked are damned, the devil does what he must. He is the greatest angel, and for this, St. Michael is truly just. He took up the sword when no one else would. He fights against the wickedness of mankind to uphold all that is righteous and good," said Sri Bala. Forgive me for not understanding, but then all of us are connected back to this evil king. I'm afraid humanity has been lost ever since the wicked ones have sought to conquer and win. I'm afraid the world is in trouble since evil still roams upon the earth. Sri Bala, you must come out of hiding. You and the ten Mahavidyas must re-emerge. This is the goal of the ten Mahavidyas, as there is nothing we would like more. We too want peace upon the earth, so that justice and righteousness can be restored. She said. Then come forth at once. Follow me and I will show you out. There is a war in the world, and the suffering upon the land has reached a terrible amount. But we are still locked up. We are pinned upon the fourth floor. Don't you remember when they captured you and forced you beyond the brass door? Said Shribala. It was at that moment I remembered where I'd once been. I followed the illumination of Shribala to the fourth floor, where cells lined the walls where I had once been trapped within. There she led me to the very end of the fourth floor. I stood staring at thirteen metal bars that pinned shut the brass door. A memory was within my mind, and I could see it right there. It felt like a past life, but the vision was crystal clear. They had taken my clothes when I woke up naked in a wheelchair, with my hands chained to the rims. Round and round, my arms rotated with the wheels while I hugged my knees. Turning my cheek, there was a man in a slim black membrane pushing me down the musty teal corridor. Sorry for the rough accommodation, said the masked man. You were like this when I got you. They said you hit someone. It's best to keep those fists in control. Were we inside a sewer or a cavern? 
Yes, it seemed man-made, but the stale moisture reminded me of my room in the order. No one forgets the smell of being trapped. I lifted my face to plea with this man, but all I saw were two jasper eyes peering through the eye slits of his copper mask. Again, really sorry about this. It happened to me too, if you can believe that, said the masked man. Melted pennies were pressed together, forming the copper helmet over his head, and that's when I caught a glance of his badge, which read, T. Hammond, General Extractor, Number 28. Where are you taking me? Oh, I think it's better if you don't know, said T. Hammond. I turned my cheek when we passed a hallway and caught a gust of air coming up from the dark staircase heading down. The sight of those bricks made me shudder, but it was the chill that kept me shaking. Please not down the stairway. Please. At least you're not going down there, said T. Hammond. That's one reason to be grateful today. He wheeled me to the right, entering some sort of main corridor, which led to another teal hall. Mostly dark, but now two more masked men in black waited on a bench for me. They had no badges, and then we arrived at some sort of end to this maze. All that was left was one last brass door. The king started it. I don't know what they told you, but the king is to blame. You have to believe me. That's the funny thing, whispered T. Hammond. I actually do believe you. The guard stood up and moved towards the brass door ahead. Pinned shut by heavy rods, sandwiched between fat brackets, I watched while these mysterious men removed all the rods until thirteen bars were lying next to my wheelchair. T. Hammond uncovered a large key with two big teeth and inserted it into the grand lock. He twisted the key sideways when I noticed a black skull was engraved upon it. Who are you? Extractors, said T. Hammond, and I'm afraid you're heading in. Into where? The steamer, whispered T. Hammond. Sparks screeched under the weight of the door as the two other men pried it open. Only T. Hammond came inside with me. The other men shut the door behind us. We were in a holding cell with a white-tiled floor, and the only thing left ahead was one red door. Was it painted or stained? No handle on it either. And this door was set here on purpose, with nothing but a crucifix hanging upside down above it. I always wished things turned out differently for people like us. But I'll be right here when you get out, said T. Hammond. He fastened my wheelchair onto the conveyor that was engineered into the floor. Bolting the wheels into the mechanism, he patted me on the back twice with soft hands. What's behind the red door? Difficult to describe. I got a harmless one, or at least that's what whispers say. So maybe you'll get lucky and end up working with me someday, said T. Hammond. He stepped away and knocked on the brass door three times before his comrades pried it open a few inches so he could slip out. Moments passed while I listened to the rods fastened back in place. Just when it got quiet, the mechanical gears jolted beneath me and the red door rose as the conveyor pulled me ahead. First there was steam, but then I saw the inside of an old infirmary. Someone had modified the fire sprinklers because steam and water sprayed out from above. White walls 
white dressers, and white beds were arranged in a circle when I stopped in the center. And the mist began to settle as the door began closing behind me. Beds, dressers, and my naked body were soaked in puddles from the droplets above. What should we try this time? asked a voice. I turned to face it, but the room was empty. He seems different than the usual type, doesn't he? said another voice. This might be our last chance. I looked to the other side, but no one was there. My head snapped forward when a figure began to emerge under the mist. A see-through entity came towards me, perfectly clear, while the falling vapor outlined the shape of a human body. One by one, countless invisible strangers began to appear around the room. Water trickled down their heads, chests, and shoulders when I closed my eyes. It's not real. It's just in your head because... It is real, said one of the figures. Impossible. My head checked behind me, and there were just as many in back. Pinching my chest into my thighs, I hid my face between my knees when tears came pouring out. When tears poured out, ghosts aren't real. They can't be. We're not ghosts, said one of them. More like hungry spirits, or demons if you misbehave. We're the ones waiting for a body. Hey, you've got a body, said a stranger on my right. Their voices switched sounds. They began speaking in dialects I'd never heard. The sound resonated between my ears, but nothing registered until one of the spirits came forward. My face was tucked under my armpit when I caught it move. Water ran down its invisible body until it stood before me. I'll do it, she said. I'll go with him. It was silent while the invisible spirits waited. The figure was standing before me, and so I raised my head to stare through her. Long dreadlocks flowed over her shoulders where I could see all the others behind her, and through them were the white beds and dressers. What is this place? I'm afraid we're in a mental institution, my love, she said. You and I and all these witnesses are the patients. It's a crazy house, and the cowards left us to die. But what they forgot is how we're not sick. We're special, and old souls have a way of coming back to life. Coming back? What did she mean back to life? Her face came closer when I noticed how many arms she possessed. Maybe six? Maybe eight? There's only one way we can fool them. Would you like that? To trick the sick people who put you in here. Because if they left you for dead, then you're a lot like me. She paused. Now I don't usually propose, but will you merge with me? What? Union. She asked. My eyes swiveled to check again. Of course I'd gone mad. I'd lost my mind when I... Her hand touched my shoulder. Goosebumps erupted across my skin like an electric shock. Each hair jumped upright as if my spirit leaked through my skin. I felt her buzz, and the vibration clung to my body. Something about me was being pulled toward this woman. Because her hand was real, I could feel it, even though my eye saw she was clear within. Now the outline of her five fingers brushed against my cheek. She was a human once. Who are you? I could see her head tilt to the side to observe my eye. Oh, this isn't about me. This is about us. And who else is brave enough but you? As moments become memories, even strangers turn to friends. You're safe with lost souls. 
were all comprised of odds and ends. Foolish but safe, reckless but benign, the spirit lives for this moment, for this moment is on time. Through every experience, and the places we're from, will create the memories of the times yet to come. Daring and courageous, you're my uncommon breed, and as long as you and I are together, then we have everything we need, said the female spirit. But what are you? Well, a name's just a name. I'm more of a trickster than that. But I will be your goddess, and you may call me Ma Kali Jack, said the feminine spirit. The stranger winked before she reached to her hip and revealed an invisible knife the same size as my arrowhead. I thought she was pure. She had me convinced. And now I began to understand whom she was inside. Holding the blade to my third eye, I watched her six arms rise up as she pierced it through my forehead. Seeping into my sight, her see-through entity blurred through me as she pressed her way between my eyes to merge. The mind sent all signals into a trance. I could hear her whisper. My eyes lost track. She was a burning blaze, impossible to fight back. Inside my body, my brain began to crack. I am the matriarch of blades. This is the life of Kali Jack. When the vision left, I found myself standing in front of that brass door. Oh, I'd been here before and I remember my room upon this fourth floor. Mahakali. Shed every skin that doesn't fit, even if they call you cold-blooded. Look wickedness in the eyes and plunge the sword into their heart, then make sure they know who did it. Mahakali is one of the ten Mahavidyas within you. She is one of us, and we never meant to hurt you, but you were the only living soul any of us could trust. They threw you in with a few others, and so we rode you like four horses. But the only way the plan would work is if we ate away at your ego and anything that didn't serve you until your old layers turned into corpses. I'm afraid it wasn't easy, but it is rather simple. We needed you to rediscover the true nature of reality, which means uncovering your deepest potential. In order to do this, I had to force you to let go of who you thought you were. You had to die to your lower self, so that the real seer could re-emerge as our highest self. That's why you're here, and there is no need to feel shame or pity. You have come back to the lapis lazuli pyramid called Mount Kailash when everyone else abandoned us. That is why you are now able to access all of the great cities," said Sribala. I stood in front of the brass door, and I tried to remove the bars. I could hear Sribala's voice crying out from within, but she seemed ever far. I can't get it open. These bars won't move, and I don't have a key. Tell me, my goddess, what must I do? I have always been guiding you. I have always been within. It was you who came to us, and by your own doing, you have found the power to harness the wind. Can you hear her running? The stampede of a wind horse. You are closer than you think. My son, within your heart is the most sincere and powerful force, said Sribala. She was trapped on the other side, along with the other Mahavidyas, and I was alone in a sort of maze, disguised under a heavy mountain 
that was an ancient spiritual pyramid. I promise I'll get you out. And I promise that upon the day you die, you will be proud. You will look back and smile at this great journey. There you'll know that all the troubles you went through were worthwhile. When it all ends, there will be nothing else you need. We will speak your name with honor, and in the end, you'll find yourself in a place of dignity. The children of life will be saved. Someday man, woman, and the creatures will live in union with the land. All because of the brave few souls who obeyed their intuition when the rest of the world didn't understand, said Sripala. But how? How do I get you out? You already know the right route, she said. But the brass door is locked, and I don't know how to get through. I don't know how to break down the brass door. Tell me, Sribala, what must I do? They call me Sribala as a child, but I have grown old since then. Call me as the world knows me now. Madurga is my name. And the way to break down the brass door is what you've been seeking your whole life. Go on, my son, and open up your heart. You've given everything to the journey. That's how the brass door breaks apart. She said, I don't understand. Dharna is the binding of the mind to one place, object, or idea. Long ago, you decided you were an artist and a poet, and so your poetry would lead us to freedom. You were set on this idea, and your determination could not be moved. Like a stone shrine within the temple of our soul, you continued forward while everyone else seemed to disapprove. You worked in silence. For years and years, you told no one. Everyone else continued to focus on material things, wealth, and money. But you never gave up on this dream, not once. Lonely nights, you wrote and wrote. You gave up everything and left behind anything you owned. We even gave you a hint to go travel around the earth. And without hesitation, you left your things behind to go. Even when the world seemed to pull you under, you wouldn't quit. You are the purest definition of determination and grit. Now it's our chapter, and we'll begin our reign. We are the ones who woke up among a world who went insane. They chase more and more. They buy fancier cars and bigger mansions, competing for fame and status, all while the poorest are left abandoned. I was there when you first discovered the spark. It was December 28th, in 2012, seven days after the Mayans predicted. You touched the path home to the divine state. This was not a physical place, but a feeling within. Some call her Kundalini or Shakti, but this is what the world will forever know as an awakening. When the sum total of the mind is being bound by one thing or one place, it is known as Dharna. And so you tied your purpose to something truly great. In other words, in Dharna, you are training the mind. It is the beginning of meditation, and meditation is the culmination of concentration. They become more or less inseparable, and this is the pathway you began paving. Normally we see our mind running here and there, but when we fix it upon one thing, then that idea begins to manifest. You held your soul's purpose on a set of stories, despite all of life's greatest tests. You gave up your home, 
your job, relationships, and a car. In careers they fired you, they let you go, and threw you out because they could not fathom who you really are. You roamed from city to city, and it even took you across the entire globe. We had to tear the ligaments in your knee and plunge you in the cold in the middle of snow. And it even made you lose your mind, all to see how determined you really were, because we needed to see if you'd give up on this great mountain's climb. I remember when you lost it all, when you were trapped in the thoughts of suicide, ready to kill yourself, and to your credit, something did die. Slowly but surely, you killed your lower self, and there emerged a poetic seer within, undiscovered by anyone else. You see, anyone could become it. It was not solely yours, but everyone else was distracted by money, greed, fame, and the material world. Like a vacant body, people would question the blank gaze in your eyes. But just like your cat, you were the man who already died. Death is like the outbreath, and you were caught in between. You walked through the world as if you were trapped in a mad dream. Too confused to quit, and too moral to give in to suicide. The whole world seemed to be trying to make you do it, but by some miracle, you just wouldn't die. And so what was left but to take your left eye? Why, you began to funnel all your energy into a set of stories because it was the only way you knew you wouldn't die. By focusing all your concentration upon a story, you discovered something worthwhile. It didn't matter how long it took. You were willing to walk an endless amount of miles. Over and over you'd edit. You'd rewrite and rethink always looking for a way out of your mind as thoughts of death pushed you to the brink of this labyrinth. Of course, I knew it was driving you crazy, but this journey required a crazy man. Everyone else who had thought of themselves as normal had long forgotten and given up on the divine plan. Now dhyana is the continuous flow of cognition towards that object or goal. And so you continued on because telling stories made the emptiness within you feel alive and whole. Thrown out of your career, I knew how bad it hurt. Alone and on your own, you did not give up on this journey, change paths or divert. You only went deeper, and the continuous flow of cognition kept going. And even when it got so dark you couldn't manage it, you discovered the grace of the herb smoking. Finally, a sense of relief but only for an hour or two. Coming out of the haze would throw you into madness, but then the next day, you'd continue on through. Over and over, you appeared as a madman without a cause, but you never gave up because you believed in something that only you saw. Little did you know that your poetic story was a link back to God. Oh, I remember when it happened. The government and your work spied through your phone. They were onto you while you wrote these stories all on your own. They watched you, and you knew it to be so. Writing day and night, all during the workday, you didn't do as you were told. Those who watched you from afar were utterly lost. They couldn't figure out what you were doing or why you appeared to be so desperate and soft. You became extremely sensitive because you were focused on only one thing. You had to get the story out, because again, 
It was pushing you to the brink. I was within you when you went to Israel. When you looked over the city as I heard you think. The story was open when you said it. We didn't come this far for nothing. You wrote and wrote. And had it been six or seven years. Still the first story titled Life with One Eye wasn't finished. And both of us knew you were about to lose your career. So much pressure does something truly unique. Pressure like that makes diamonds. And so a mystic was formed to discover their mystique. What else could the world throw at you when you transformed everything into the story? By some miracle, you learned to transmute all of your pain in life and turn it into a sort of poetic glory. Without a book deal, without anyone even willing to read your book, you continued on doing whatever it took. Surely you realized that this path was not the norm. Samadhi is the same meditation when there is the shining of the object or idea alone, as if devoid of any form. This was your big breakthrough, when it turned from me to we. You gave up everything, including the control over your own stories. Rather than force them, you handed me the reins. After the ego died, you were offered power so that the soul could be redeemed. All these thoughts that were once based on individual desire became selfless to ignite a spiritual fire. From this, a great reaction took place and something exquisite transpired. When the selfishness was taken out, you went silent on the outside. Not many people understood this, but it took a few great yoga teachers to recognize that a part of you had died. Those great teachers took you in. Many were afraid to be alone with you because they weren't sure what you were up to on the inside. By barely speaking, you learned to ask questions alone. You refused to use the word I and me in sentences, and you began to see that you were not at all on your own. This is called Nirvakalpa Samadhi, and one who has achieved this may look similar to anyone else. But the burnt nature of the mental seeds are the difference between ordinary people and the Jiva Muktis. Just as any alchemist or metal worker knows, it takes a fire to purify gold. You yourself kept tossing your own life into the spiritual fire, regardless of what you were told. The practice of these three, dharna, jnana, and samadhi upon one object or idea is called samyama. From this practice comes the cities. You dove so deeply into your idea that it began to release secrets. And once you discover this, you had no reason to fear it. These secrets came to you because you were devoted and committed. That is why I trusted you. And so I offer you all the cities, said the goddess. What comes of Samyama? By mastery of Samyama comes the light of knowledge. This means that the truth behind the object on which we do Samyama becomes known to us. That is why we call it discovery. The truth was covered before. It's not that anyone creates anything new. By Samyama, we understand what truth was. That's the true meaning of your discovery. Its practice is to be accomplished in stages. These three, Dharna, Dhyana, and Samadhi, are more internal than the preceding five limbs of yoga. They are totally inward, something no one else can see. 
They are on the mental level, where you release these ideas onto pages. Even these three, Dharna, Jhana, and Samadhi, are external to the seedless Samadhi. You had to conquer all the realms of Prakriti, or all that exists in the world, through the lower Samadhi. And then, after conquering these realms to gain complete self-realization, which makes him not only the lord of these realms, but also independent of them. Said the goddess, On my knees before the brass door? What more? I wanted to break down this brass door and embrace her, but it barely mattered because she spoke out from my core. Narodaha Parinama is that transformation of the mind in which it becomes progressively permeated by the condition of Narodaha, or checking, which intervenes momentarily between an impression which is disappearing and the impression which is taking its place. This is to shed light on the nature of the mental processes which are involved in the practice of yoga. These are not states, but modes of transformation, and so they are not static, but dynamic. In the progressive process of self-realization through samadhi, the mind can pass from one stage to another through the kinds of transformations which are sequentially related to one another and really constitute the integral parts of a larger composite process which has to be repeated on each plane as consciousness withdraws step by step toward the center of reality. The ordinary transformations of the mind take place according to the laws of association or reasoning or according to the stimuli applied by the external world through the sense organs. The three kinds of transformations we are now considering are of a special kind and are used in the practice of higher yoga after the yogi has acquired the capacity of passing into the samadhi state at will. This sutra defines Narodaha Padinama or a transformation which results in suppression of the chitta vrittis, which are the modifications of the mind, said the goddess. What does all this mean? In the practice of dharna, or your concentration upon your idea, your will was suppressing distractions and substituting in their place the one object with which you were focused. It means you didn't lose sight, and this flow becomes tranquil by repeated impression. The longer you went on, the more you knew how to overcome the struggles. You were rerouting your brain's patterns not to be swayed by fear, anxiety, panic, or any troubles. Rather, you continued on through practice, and that strengthened the flow of your concentration upon the goal and idea. Samadhi transformation is the gradual setting of the distractions and simulations rising of one-pointedness. When you achieve this, the idea or goal begins to shine. Then again, when the subsiding past and rising present are focused on the idea and become identical, you discover that you are in a one-pointed mind. By this, the transformation of the visible characteristics, time factors, and conditions of the elements are also described. It is the substratum that by nature goes through latent, uprising, and unmanifest planes. The succession of these different phases is the cause of the differences in the stages of evolution, said the goddess. This is so much to take in. Where does this lead? 
to the supernatural powers, the cities, said the goddess. So is that where we are? You have now entered into the fifth Bumi, which is called Shintu Jankawa, which means very difficult to accomplish. It is very difficult to conquer. This Bumi provides many challenges. You need to work with people who do you a disservice, even those who are your enemies. No one is excluded. You need to develop the quality of never being tired of working with your fellow sentient beings. The fifth Bumi combines practice and action, which is why it is difficult. You do not separate wisdom and experience, but realize that they are one. Dharma Dhatu becomes completely one with your basic being. On the fifth Bumi, you have to shift your mind in a slightly different angle than you were used to in the first four Bumis. Things become so powerful that it is like holding a thunderbolt in your hand and not knowing what to do. It is completely bewildering. You need more compassion and more shunyata, which is the quality of clear mind, which is free of all frameworks to bring things together. There is no need for coordination. In the earlier boomies, it was somewhat lopsided because different aspects of yourself were working on different transcendent virtues. It's like training your right arm and leg separately from your left arm and leg with no thought of putting them together and walking. But you need to coordinate your right and left sides as you walk. Likewise, you need the transcendent virtue of meditation to bring together the other paramitas. With the paramita of meditation, there is a sense of comfort. You feel at home with mindfulness practice and awareness, or superior seeing. Your meditation becomes completely identified with your own experience, to the level of welcoming the quality of cool boredom. Having made yourself at home, you continue to cultivate knowledge and to work on the experience of clear mind free from all frameworks, and you sharpen the meditation and action aspect as well. You need both this clear mind and compassion. There is a kind of coexistence. You work with other people, you meditate. It is as natural as breathing in and breathing out. Here you have an unbiased commitment to others. On the fifth Bumi, you are beginning to turn around. You change your direction towards working with others, seeing that they are really more important than you. Until this point, although you have taken the vow of the Bodhisattva, there is still self-orientation. You have been working with other people, but it is not really 100%. You keep to yourself for hope that others will be able to learn from you, rather than actually committing yourself to them. Up to this point, that kind of commitment has been very difficult to develop because you have been so preoccupied with what you were doing. But at the fifth Bumi, you can work with sentient beings without bias. When you teach others, you don't act like a veteran who has come back from war and is trying to tell everyone what it is like. That is a very heavy-handed approach. You still have not received from your own experiences, so you cannot really communicate them to somebody else. In teaching others, rather than being heavy-handed, the idea is that you should provide space or a gap, said the goddess. Then I will do everything I can to create the space needed to break down this brass door. I'll find something and come back to the fourth floor. To be nobody but yourself in a world which is trying its best night and day 
to make you everybody else means to fight the hardest battle which any human being can fight and never stop fighting, said the goddess. <laughs>